Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to find uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 6. We're going to try to cover a lot of territory there as we, we look at uh, how, do, how does it look like to develop uh, a faith that lasts, uh, a faith that lasts, not just that starts well, uh, but that continues through. We looked last week at, uh, at a faith that works even in the midst of the, the storms of life. And I want to start off this morning by just uh, telling you uh, a little bit uh, of a story. She didn't get much of a head start in life. About with polio, left her left leg crooked and her foot twisted inward so that she had to wear leg braces. After seven years of painful therapy, she could finally walk without her braces. At age 12, she tried out for a girls basketball team but didn't make it. But determined, she found a, a girlfriend and two boys who would play and practice every single day. The next year, she went out and made the team. During one of the, the basketball games, a college track coach saw her and thought that she had potential as a runner, and he offered to help train her as a runner. By age 14, she was already beginning to run with and even outrun some of the fastest sprinters in the U.S., in 1956, Wilma made, a, made the U.S. Olympic team, but her showing wasn't what was expected. Driven by that bitter disappointment, she spent the, the next four years in intense training for the 1960 Olympic Games in Rome. And there, Wilma Rudolph won three gold medals the most that any woman had ever won in Olympic history up until that time. And I show you that to say to you, each of us has a race to run. That God has a particular race for each of us to run. And it's not just about starting well, but it is about finishing it well. And you may feel like, well, I started off, but I, I had this disadvantage or this handicap or, or this problem or this challenge or whatever it might be. And we all have those in our race in life. But we are to run with endurance. Hebrews 12 puts it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I have a race. It's unique. All of us have a unique race to run. But let us do it with endurance. Let us have a faith that not only starts, but a faith that finishes well. And I want us to look at John's gospel 
And I want us to look in the text, and we're going to cover a long text today, uh, but I want us to kind of learn lessons from those who did not last, even though at first it seemed they were starting well, and then to learn from those who did last. Chapter 6, let's start with verse 25. And understand this comes on the, the heels of uh, the, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walking on the water to the disciples in the midst of the storm. Then verse 25, when they found him, Jesus and the disciples, when they found them on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so he said to them, so they said to him, he said, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He who has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for life of the world is my flesh. Now there's a lot there. We'll pause and we'll come back to the text. 
But I want you to see over the course of this last part of this chapter, there are five different responses to Jesus' declaration that he is the bread of life. And even using that term, I am, he was claiming equality with God. I am the bread of life. And there were five different responses. At first, there were those who were seeking. They were seeking. They had seen the miracles and they, they, they had partaken of the bread and the fish and the feeding of the thousands. And so they, they sought him. They were tracking him down. They went to the other side to find him. There are those who start all seeking. They're seeking him, perhaps not for his kingdom, but they're seeking him, as we said, for their kingdom, for what he can do for them, how they might use him to further their purposes, their agenda in the world. But as he begins to lay out his identity as to what it means to follow him, there are folks who begin murmuring or grumbling along the way. And I want you to think about that term because he compares himself to the man that came down from heaven. And if you remember in the Old Testament, in the Exodus, God provided this miraculous provision day by day of the manna. But instead of continuing in gratitude, they quickly turned to grumbling. They began to grumble and murmur against God and against God's provision for them along the way. Sometimes we, we shift from seeking to murmuring. And on the heels of that, they begin to strive or to argue or to, to disagree with Jesus. They begin to, to talk and argue about who he is or who he couldn't be, and they begin striving against him. And then we'll see folks, as we'll continue in just a moment, departing as he begins to declare who he is and what it means to follow him. There are folks that say, no, this is too much. This is too much. We didn't sign up for this. We weren't interested in this, and they do not finish well. They are departing, and then we'll see as it kind of funnels down a large group seeking and then murmuring and striving and departing. And finally, uh, there is those who are confessing, truly a, a faith, a genuine uh, faith that lasts in Jesus Christ. Now, as, as we go through this, I, I want you just to maybe begin to think, just to ask in the presence of the, the Holy Spirit today, uh, where am I at right now? Where am I at right now? Honestly, am I seeking and murmuring? Am I striving? Is there some departing? Is there authentic confessing? Where am I at right now? Now, let me clarify a couple things, though. There's a huge, huge difference between questioning the truth and murmuring about the truth. All of us at times have questions, right? Uh, you, you, you come to a scripture and you say, gosh, what does that really mean? Uh, ooh, what, what, did, what, is, what is God saying in that? Or, or maybe life circumstances begin to file up and you kind of say, God, what are you up to in the midst of this? And we have genuine questions. There's a difference between questioning and murmuring. An honest question, I think from a seeking heart, always gets an answer from God. It doesn't mean we always understand everything. It doesn't mean we always get the answer we want. But I don't think God despises a genuine heart that's seeking him and seeking truth. And times we ask questions. We wrestle with hard questions. That's different than murmuring against the provision of God. You see, grumbling 
will always keep us from God's promised land in our lives. So this generation in the wilderness, think about it, that they had experienced those 10 plagues, they had experienced the the Passover, they experienced the parting of the Red Sea, all of this incredible provision of God. They were experiencing his daily provision of the manna, and they began to grumble against that, and their grumbling against his provision prevented them from going to the land that he had set them free to go to in the first place. They had started off miraculously, but they did not finish. They did not enter into the promised land. The lesson is that you and I can start off well. We can even say, praise God. Thank you for this miracle. Thank you for this provision. But as grumbling starts to sit in our hearts, as we begin to murmur against the providence of God and the provision of God, it begins to prevent us from moving forward into the land that God has prepared for us. There's something that happens when we hear God's word. Hearing God's word always leads to a shift. A shift in the heart of those who are listening. Either our hearts grow harder or they grow softer. So Jesus gives this this teaching. He makes this declaration, I am the bread of life. And for some, there is a, a softening and opening up of their heart more toward God. For others, there is a hardening. And this is and it's so important to understand because I know at times it's kind of like, God, I don't understand. Why is it that, that somebody can be in basically the same environment and hearing the same word or reading the same words or studying the same words and seemingly have two different reactions, two different life outcomes? Because there's always, always, always a shift in the heart of those who are listening. They'll either get harder or softer. Vance Havner, that preacher of yesteryear, always had a way with phrases. He put it this way. He said, let it never be forgotten that although we may know, may know nothing about the word we hear, the word will do something to us. And then he illustrated it this way. The same sun melts ice and hardens clay. And the word of God humbles or hardens the human heart. Hearing God's word, even from the lips of Jesus, shifts something in our hearts. There will either be a humbling and a softening or a hardening in rebellion. And what we find in this text is what we find throughout uh, the Gospels. It's amazing how many times people missed what Jesus was saying because they took him too literally. Uh, Let's let's, uh, pick this up in verse uh, 51 there, which we, we finished with. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And you may be saying, that is a hard saying. (laughs) Wow, what did he mean? Well, think about it. The the eating here is, is, he's not saying cannibalism, right? Eating is this illustration of a spiritual truth that people must appropriate the sacrifice of his broken body, his shed blood through faith. It it was this picture of of even as they ate bread in the wilderness, the physical bread, so we must by faith appropriate the the bread of life that has come down from heaven, Jesus Christ, through faith. And we see this in John's gospel. You may remember in an early chapter, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And what did he say? You must be born again. And Nicodemus, thinking literally, says, wait, how can you, how can you like go back into your mother's womb? I just don't fit, you know? You missed the point. You missed the point. You were thinking Physically, you were thinking literally instead of spiritually. There are two things that we must never forget about the words of Jesus. Look at verse 63. Let's just skip right down there. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Two simple things about Jesus' words. They are spirit and they are life. They are spirit in their life. They are, they, they are spirit. They are not just spiritual, but they are spirit, that there is the, the Holy Spirit at work in his words. They are alive, and they bring life. They bring spiritual life. And so as Jesus speaks, we come and we understand, I need physical food for my physical body. I need spiritual food for my soul, for my, my, my life. And I get that through the words of Jesus Christ. And so as you come to these passages, and maybe you come and you're, you're reading something in the letters of Paul, and even Peter said, hey, sometimes there's some things in there that are hard to understand. But you understand, hey, I may not, I'm, I can wrestle with it. I can ask legitimate questions to seek to understand it. But understand, at its core, they are spirit. And they are life. And whatever you do, don't stop listening. Don't stop listening before God gives his answer. Verse 66 says kind of the tragic tale. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with 
him. Sometimes somebody says, well, I, I started to read the Bible and, and I got to this point and it was confusing and I just, I just gave up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Persevere. Because it's in the, the persevering uh, that, that God continues to shape our heart and, and illuminate our understanding. And sometimes we give up well before God has given us the answer. Sometimes we're not yet prepared in our character, in our life, to hear what God wants to fully say to us. He is trying to get us prepared to hear his answer, but sometimes we give up before the answer comes, which then leads to the question, well, why is that? I mean, what is it? Here are these folks that saw the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They ate the bread and the fish. But what was it that kept them from eating the bread of life? What was it that caused them to murmur and strive and argue and eventually, as verse 66 there, depart and to walk away? What is it that kept them from eating the bread of life? Well, I think we can summarize maybe at least three things. The first is they never moved beyond curiosity to commitment. They never move beyond curiosity to commitment. There are some folks that'll, at different points in their life, have some level of curiosity. Uh, I'd, I'd kinda like to know what the Bible says. Or I'm on a spiritual journey. Or I'm, in, I'm curious about this, I'm curious about that but they never moved beyond a curiosity. They were curious to this Jesus, the miracle worker, but they were never moved to the point of committing their life to the sovereign king. They were willing to pick and choose parts of him for their purposes, but they weren't at the point of submitting their lives to his kingdom and his purposes. They never looked past the temporary to see the eternal. They were, they were there when it was about my physical needs. And they're there, folks that'll tune in even today. Well, if you can help me raise my kids or, or, or maybe help our marriage get fixed or, or, or help with this problem or that problem, I'm kind of I'm in for a while, but they never move beyond the temporary to the eternal. The, the life focus still is just on this brief passing life that we have. They never move past the temporary to see the eternal. You and I will never live our lives well in God's eyes if we only deal in the temporary. If we don't see this day in light of that day. If we don't live today in light of eternity. They never look past the temporary to see the eternal. And the needs that initially drew them to Jesus eventually kept them from Jesus. They initially were drawn, maybe some curiosity as this, this new teacher, this new hot rabbi, right? And they were interested in the, in the food that was miraculously provided. But as he began to, to move them from there beyond that, they didn't want to go. It was almost as if they were saying, feed me, but do not lead me. Feed me, 
take care of my needs as I perceive them to be, but do not lead me. And a lot of folks can go to church, sometimes their whole life, and basically say, feed me. Meet my need for community. Meet my need for inspiration, for motivation, for help in times of crisis. But don't lead me. Don't, don't, don't mess with the direction of my life, with how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how, how I invest my life. Feed me but don't lead me. And in Jesus' words, he's kind of laying down the gauntlet. This is who I am. (laughs) I'm not just here to feed you, but to lead you. It's not just about me being the supplier of your kingdom. It is about you being a part of a larger story, the kingdom of God. And with all of that, they say in verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Please understand, the words of Jesus, Jesus Christ, he, he, he comes and he, he said, I'm going to bring division, right? I know we're, we're talking about unity and all those things and can't we get united as a country and a culture and listen, I'm all for those things and at least civility would be nice, wouldn't it? But please understand, Jesus Christ and his claims are always gonna be divisive. It's going to be a dividing line as to who you think Jesus is and how you respond to him. You see, in the end, it wasn't the teaching that was hard. It was their hearts. It wasn't so much the the teaching, but it was their heart that was hard. It was not primarily hard to understand. It was very, very hard for them to accept. And the fact is, if you think about what Jesus said about himself, about following his way of life, about walking in his kingdom, he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Rest. Does that sound hard? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And that doesn't mean it, it doesn't require effort and energy. Paul talked about striving and laboring, we do. But it means at its core, there is a rest. There is a well-fitting yoke for those that yoke themselves, who join with Jesus Christ. And while the, uh, the demands, in a sense, may be high, there is a supernatural strength to walk in them. And what we discover as we follow Christ is even if circumstances are challenging, there is a rest for our souls. He doesn't give a hardness, a heaviness, but he comes and empowers us to walk in a different way of life. But the truth is always gonna be hard 
for those that think that Jesus Christ will settle for less than he demands. If you try to negotiate with Christ, you're always gonna find it hard. If you try to, gotta, let's make a deal, right? Well, let's compromise on this. You're always going to find the call of Jesus Christ hard. As long as you try to maintain control, you're gonna find the call of Jesus Christ hard. The flip side of that is, the truth is also always hard for those who think that Jesus should ask for more than he desires. This would be the posture of a legalist. So they would say, Jesus plus something else. Jesus, it's not enough just to, to, to trust in you and to, to, to follow you and to depend upon you. No, 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 it's Jesus plus uh, these other things, plus these works to earn a right relationship with God. And there are folks that struggle. They find the gospel of Jesus Christ hard because they don't think Jesus is enough. They want to add something to it. You're always going to find his words hard if you want to set him to settle for less or think that he should require more. Now that's kind of the depressing part of this passage. Let's turn with the last few moments to learn from those who did last, from those who actually did last. Let's just go ahead and, and pick it up at verse 60 and, and finish out the chapter. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Listen, if you want to last... Just be prepared for that question. You don't want to leave too, do you? Because there will come those moments in our life, in our journey, where maybe you say, I, I want to give up. <laughs> maybe you think, this isn't working out the way I thought it was going to. And Jesus, I thought if I, I really followed you, if I, if I entrusted you, if I honored you, if I put you first, that, that I wouldn't experience this, this, and this, and now I'm experiencing these things. And, and sometimes, in a follower of Christ, there come those questions. Is it really worth it? <laughs> Am I really gonna keep following him. And I know I've walked with folks long enough to have seen folks that seem to have been walking with the Lord for years. 
and then depart. They come to the point where they want to leave too. Peter has a different response. He, he simply says, hey, where else are we going to go? <laughs> where else? I mean, where would we go? And the, the lesson here is, if I want to last, I, I ought to look at the alternatives to Jesus honestly, right? There's one author put it this way. He says, play the movie. Play the movie. Just, just kind of run that movie out and see what would my life truly be like if I went somewhere else except for Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes that's just, that's just a good scenario for us. You know, if I really departed from, from walking with the Lord, what, what would that begin to bring into my life? Or maybe said another way, where would I be without Jesus in my life? I mean, I could even look back over the movie that's already played and say, where would I have been in these moments of my life if Jesus hadn't been a part of my life? You see, the enemy will always lie to you. It's what he did in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. He'll give you the bait. This is what life would look like if you do it your way instead of God's way. The bait. But the enemy doesn't show you the hook until it's too late. See the fruit. Billy, you, you'll be like God. But he didn't tell them all that would unfold, all that they would unleash in their lives and in the world through their disobedience in the garden. And the enemy will whisper to you, go somewhere else. This isn't working. He isn't faithful. He is not delivering on his promises. He'll show you the bait, but he'll never tell you about the hook. What would I be without Jesus in my life? But not only where else, but part of Peter's response was, what else? <laughs> what, what else are we going to do? You are the one that have the words of eternal life. And so if I want my faith to last, I need to listen to the words of Jesus regularly. I have to immerse myself regularly in the words and the teaching of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we, we've used an old illustration. I think it was, I first heard it from the navigators many, many years ago, but talks about your hand. You know, Hear, read, study, memorize, meditate, and in the palm, apply. And that's a way to get a grip on God's word. I need those things in my life. I need to immerse myself in the truth of God's word because he alone has the words of eternal life. That's not to say there are not insights and understandings that can come from a lot of different people. They are, but I always measure those against the plumb line of God's word because he has the words of eternal life. If you want to last, I don't hold out any hope 
apart from regularly immersing yourself in the words of Jesus Christ. I need it. I, I need it more than just a, on a weekly basis. I need to immerse myself. We, we are bombarded by so many messages right now. We have so much information coming at us all the time. And eat, eat, regardless of if it's good or bad information, it can distract us. And I need to carve out time to listen to the words of Jesus regularly. What else? And Peter said, hey, in the end, who else? Who else are we going to turn to? You are the Holy One of God. We believe it, and we have come to know it. We, we believe it intellectually, but we've come to know it in our heart, in the core of our being. Who else would we turn to? You are the Holy One of Israel, and that's where it ultimately comes back to, and that's why we're spending time in John's gospel, because it always comes back to who is Jesus. If he is the Holy One of God, believe it, know it, respond to it. You want to last? Confess your trust in Jesus openly. Do it in the midst of the body of Christ, in the groups that you're a part of. But do it outside of the body of Christ. Plant your flag. There is something about openly confessing Christ that, that strengthens our faith, that kind of puts us a little bit on notice, that reorients our life and even has other people encourage us or hold us accountable, whether their motivation is positive or negative, to walking with the Lord. And so I must openly confess Jesus Christ. Now, this would be an incredibly wonderful way to end this chapter, wouldn't it? All the murmuring, all the striving, all the departing. And yes, Peter and a few of them got it right. But that's not how the chapter ends. And it wouldn't be the whole truth. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Did you see that phrase, one of the 12? Think about that. Man, one of the 12. What does that tell us? It'll tell us, be careful where you put your security because you can fellowship with the disciples of Jesus and still not last. You can be close to the activities and the words of Jesus and still not last. You can even participate in the miracles and the work of Jesus and still not last. Judas was there handing out fish and chips, right? It did not last. You want to last? It's only one way. And that is to stay close to Jesus. To focus on that personal relationship with him. And that's why we encourage one another. 
Engage in those spiritual growth habits, those spiritual disciplines. Immerse yourself in God's word. Make time for prayer. Find some time of silence and solitude. Engage with others. Fast, give, serve, all of those other things. Be a part of a group that you can encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another along the way. We need those things to help us to stay close. Please understand, spiritual disciplines are not how you earn God's love. Spiritual growth habits, reading the word, praying, all those things are never about earning God's love. His love is given to us freely in Christ Jesus. But they are how you will enjoy it. They are how you will live in it. They are how you will experience the power of it. Some have talked about it this way. It's the difference between trying and training. Trying and training. Remember a few years ago, one of the kind of the, the, the rage, at least among church folks, was uh, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And there was like a whole line of products, right? You could even wear a thing. Some of you may be wearing one even today. What would Jesus do? Well, that's not a bad question to ask. But the reality is that in a moment, you won't be able to do what Jesus did in public if you aren't personally connected to Jesus in private. Wilma Rudolph doesn't just show up at the 1960 Rome Olympics and say, I'm here to race. Did she have to try hard in the race? Absolutely but there had been training over a lifetime. One of the questions just asking our men's group the other evening was what did Jesus do in private that enabled him to respond the way that he did in public? You want to do what Jesus did in public? You want to do what Jesus did in a moment of crisis? then learn to do what Jesus did in private. He stayed close to the Father. He practiced those spiritual habits that so connected him that in a moment of trial, in a moment of temptation, in a moment of anguish, he could respond in a way that glorified the Father. I began with a story. I want to end with a story and a picture. Some of you may have seen this picture in the past week or so. This is Chris Nickick. Chris is 21 years old and has Down syndrome. He was the first ever athlete with Down syndrome to complete an Ironman triathlon. The event consists of a 2.4-mile swim, 122 miles on a bicycle, and a marathon-length run that all had to be completed within a designated time limit. This is the moment that he crossed the finish line. Chris's father, Nick, told the Orlando Sentinel that his son far exceeded the expectations of the doctors. 
From the time he was born, we were told by everyone that he'd never do anything or amount to anything or be able to accomplish anything beyond being able to tie his own shoes, the elder Nick told the papers. And we believed them for the longest time. Chris, who's undergone two heart surgeries, multiple other procedures, even had a few falls during the Ironman, falling off the bike and some other things, but he persevered. The triathlon had a 17-hour time limit. What you don't see in that picture, but you can see in some other pictures, is he crossed the finish line at 16 hours, 46 minutes, and nine seconds, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. But he's not finished racing. He's hoping to qualify for the 2022 Special Olympic Games in Orlando. I don't know what disadvantages you feel like you have in your race. What handicaps? What obstacles? But I know that God has a race marked out for you. And he doesn't intend you just to start it. He doesn't just intend for you to start it well, but to finish it well. And in order to do that, you can't just walk out of this room and say, I'm gonna try harder. But all of your life has to train. So I want you to notice one other thing about the picture. See, beside Nick is a guide. He was tethered to a guide throughout the marathon, throughout the swim. And he had somebody who was racing with him every step of the way. If you're going to finish well, you can't do it alone. You have to be tethered to Jesus Christ. You have to stay in connection with him. And so I give you that charge from Hebrews 12 one last time. Therefore, in light of all that Jesus Christ has done for you, in light of the example of those who have gone before you, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, stay tethered to him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, developing the shame, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Run your race. Doesn't matter what anybody else's time was. Run your race with endurance, tethered to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, thank you.
Thank you that you have a unique race marked out for each of us. And Father, with that calling comes perhaps unique opportunities and unique challenges, and yet you and your grace are more than sufficient for all of these things. And so, Father, right here, right now, Lord, we just come and we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we don't, we don't want to use you for our kingdom. We want you to use us for your kingdom, for your glory, because it is in that that we find life the life that we were designed for, the race that we were designed to run, the fulfilledness, the joy that we were meant to live with. Father, thank you for who Jesus is and what he has done and who we can become in him as we pray in his name. Amen.